Amen. Well, we now come to our scripture reading. That's going to be in Acts chapter 8. I'd invite you to turn there in your Bibles. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and we want to hear God's Word read from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Hear God's Word. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the Isaiah, the prophet, and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, They came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is God's word. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, uh, Pastor Ben. And thanks to all those who've put together such a wonderful service this morning. I think particularly of the stars and that uh, welcome that we had at the beginning. It's so good to hear from our disability ministry and to know that you are very much a part of the family as uh, we do church together. And what wonderful singing we had already uh, this morning. And thanks to Delena for joining us on the platform today and just playing remarkably well. And of course, Robin and Pastor Eric do as he leads us in worship uh, each week. We are a greatly blessed church. But as we come now to God's word, uh, we are also very aware that we live in unusual times. I was joking with a pastor friend of mine just the other day about what will be next. Uh, This year already we've had a global pandemic and now we have race riots. Uh, What's going to be next? And uh, he texted back to me, dragons. And uh, I guess not, but It has been a a challenging year for everyone. And as we come now to God's word, we're looking at the story that Luke is telling in the book of Acts. And I want to show you how in God's good providence, 
This passage that we're looking at this morning is remarkably relevant. Now, you remember the story that uh, Luke has been telling as he goes through the book of Acts. It's a story of how the gospel of the kingdom of God moves from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. That's the story that Luke is telling, this movement of the message of Jesus, the rule of Jesus, the kingdom of God from Jerusalem to the surrounding area, Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And over the last few weeks, we've seen how that gospel, through God's sovereignty, was moved out to uh, the region of Samaria. The church in Jerusalem was persecuted, and God's people were scattered. And wherever they went, they proclaimed the gospel. And there was a remarkable revival in uh, Samaria. And we looked just last week at how even in the midst of this remarkable revival, there is false as well as true religion. And uh, Simon, known to history as Simon Magus, became hardened to that message and was challenged to repent. He, he was still holding on to materialism and a magical view of God, and even in his heart, malice. Instead, Simon Peter was a person of purity and, and prayer and principle. And of course, we should be more like Simon Peter. But now we come to this passage here, and it seems at first glance to be something of a diversion from the grand narrative of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth, but actually it's right at the heart of God's gospel purpose. And as I say, in God's good providence, it is remarkably relevant to what we as a nation, we as a church globally, we as a church in America, we as a church locally are going through in these days. And what it is teaching us is how God embraces the excluded. How God embraces the excluded. But for you really to understand how this is a part of the story, this is not just a part of the story, but the central theme of this story, there's some background work, some context that we need to do about the excluded so then we can see how God embraces uh, the excluded. At first glance, this Ethiopian doesn't seem to be particularly excluded. Uh, we find out in uh, verse uh, uh, 27 that he is a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He's in charge of all her treasure. Uh, think of uh, uh, the United States uh, Treasury Secretary. He's a powerful man, probably a very wealthy man. He's made a long journey to Jerusalem, surrounded by his entourage of attendants and servants. He doesn't seem particularly excluded on the face of it at all. He's serving Candace. Candace uh, is not an individual, but was a name for the royal ruler, uh, like a Caesar, uh, a heritage name for that ruling person, whoever it was. And as the treasury secretary of this all-powerful royal monarch, he would have had huge influence, massive power. He doesn't seem at first glance to be marginalized, rejected, 
excluded? No, he's right at the center of things. He is a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. What is more, at first glance, he doesn't seem to be particularly religiously excluded either. He's made this journey to Jerusalem to worship. How could he be someone who is religiously excluded? Doesn't seem to be in that regard. Probably, we don't know for sure, but probably way back to Queen of Sheba who went to visit Solomon. The message of the true God of the Bible be passed down from those days all the way to this Ethiopian official. And he was a believer. And he traveled up. He made this long journey from sub-Saharan Africa all the way up to Jerusalem to worship. He doesn't seem to be an excluded person. But wait, dig a little deeper with me. He is, we're told, an Ethiopian Now, in ancient times, to be an Ethiopian did not just mean to be from someone from the country that we now know as Ethiopia. In ancient times, an Ethiopian was used of anyone from that region, that sub-Saharan Africa. And the word Ethiopian means burnt face. It's a way of describing a black person. He's an Ethiopian. He's a black person. He's a black man. And even in those days, uh, Matthew Henry, the great uh, 18th century commentator commentator, puts it like this. He says, in ancient times, Ethiopians were regarded as from a despised nation and by nature stigmatized. They were excluded They were rejected. They were despised, stigmatized, by their very face, by their very color, rejected. He's an Ethiopian. But what is more, the passage tells us, he is also a eunuch. Now, in ancient times, royal officials would often use eunuchs as uh, high and powerful attendants at the court. And the reason for that is they were used as safe and trustworthy people. You could trust them with your wives, with your harem. You could trust them with your money because they didn't have children and family that they were likely to uh, store up power and wealth for. And because uh, this was a very common practice in ancient times, Officials were sometimes called eunuchs, even though they were not physically eunuchs, became a title for a position, a high court position, a trusted position, a eunuch. But I'm convinced that in this instance, this man was physically a eunuch. I, along with many other Bible teachers like John MacArthur, are convinced that he was physically, this Ethiopian, physically a eunuch. And one of the reasons why uh, I'm convinced by that is the passage of Scripture that he's reflecting upon, that we'll look at how Philip explains it to him in just a moment. So we look at how, why he's excluded here, why the Ethiopian's excluded. This, he's not just excluded by his race, he's excluded in this eunuch, and what, eunuch uh, status. And one of the reasons why I'm convinced he was physically a eunuch is this passage of Scripture that he's reflecting on. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. 
like lamb before its shearer is silent. Justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? That is, the children after him. And it's resonating with his Ethiopian eunuch, for of course he will have no children. He cannot have any children. And without being too graphic, it's it's resonating with him because he's been like a sheep before a shearer. He's been cut off. He's been physically excluded. Uh, he He was a physical eunuch. How terrible it is a thing for many people to discover that they're infertile, unable to have children. They feel like they're cut off from life. They feel like they can have no generation coming after them. But imagine, imagine if you had been physically made a eunuch. Imagine the sense of exclusion. But what is more? Not only was he racially, sexually, physically excluded, he was religiously excluded too, most of all. And Acts, Luke tells us this story. He'd gone up to Jerusalem to worship, but he didn't get to the temple. In fact, he could not get to the temple. He was not allowed to get to the temple. I'm actually going to read uh, from Deuteronomy 23 and verse 1. And for those of you who have young children listening at the moment, this is straight from the Bible. I'm going to read it out, but you might want to just cover their ears for a moment perhaps. It's, it's, it is graphic, but to get a sense of what he was feeling, I think it is important for us adults and teenagers to, to hear it. Deuteronomy 23 verse 1 goes like this. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. He can't get into the temple. He's not allowed. He's a eunuch. He's excluded. He's racially excluded. He's physically excluded. He's religiously excluded. Now, maybe you feel excluded. Maybe you feel excluded because of your race. You're a black man or a black woman or a black child. And you listen to all that's going on. You feel deeply excluded. And maybe you feel excluded because you have a disability. And uh, you feel like you're cut off from life. Maybe you feel excluded because you don't fit into the sexual normative patterns, as this eunuch certainly did not, and you feel excluded. Maybe you feel excluded for other racial reasons. Um, Miroslav Volf, who wrote a famous book on this theme, he called it Exclusion and Embrace. Uh, Miroslav Volf grew up in the Balkans, and uh, he was deeply influenced by the conflict there between the Serbs and the Croats. White, both, but at each other's throats. We, uh, years ago, supported a, a missionary to Rwanda to help bring about reconciliation between the Hutus and the Tutsus, two black groups killing each other. Miroslav Wolf was interviewed in 2015 about his book and he he said at one point this, he said, we live in a world 
where hatred is being stoked and indifference being practiced. And maybe you sense that. Maybe you're white and you feel excluded. You feel like you're being victimized. What have I done? You feel excluded. While God has a way that he embraces the excluded. And how is that? Well, this uh, story tells us there are three ways that God embraces the excluded. And uh, the first way is this. God does it. God does it. You know, I've, I've heard this passage preached so many times. And so often when someone preaches it, it becomes a series of techniques about how to do evangelism. Well, there are lessons we can learn here from, about how to do evangelism for sure. But that's not the point of this passage. Or other times I've heard this preached, particularly in Baptistic circles, where it's, it's preached as a series of injunctions and techniques about how to do baptism. Well, that's there for sure here. We'll see that baptism is here in a moment in a profound way. But this isn't about human methodology. This isn't about a human plan. If any passage in the whole of Scripture emphasized that it is the Spirit of God who must do it, and that he alone can do it, surely it is this passage. What happens? An angel of the Lord said to Philip, God does it through his, his angel. And then verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip, Now, of course, we mustn't remove human agency. Philip goes up and explains the passage, as we'll see just in a moment. We need to be responsive to the work of the Spirit and listen to the the word of God from this angel of the Lord, the messenger of God. We need to respond. This isn't passivity, but God must do it. This passage is emphasizing that. He alone can do it. And if you have any doubt that this passage is emphasizing that, think about the way the passage concludes, uh, verse Uh, 39, when they came up uh, out of the water, Philip didn't have a moment to give him a lot of post-baptism training instructions. When he came up out of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. As if to underline sovereignty, this is the work of God. He said, well, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It drives us to our knees in prayer. You know, perhaps no bigger lesson is more important for the Western church than this one. We always want a man with a plan. We want a strategy. We want bullet points and timelines for how to get it done. And here it is. God's going to have to do it. And we need to ask him, And only he can heal the nations. God must do it. But then this passage also, I tell you the three ways it teaches us about how God embraces the excluded. This passage also teaches us that it is critically important that we understand scripture accurately. You see what happens, don't you? When Philip goes up uh, to this uh, Ethiopian eunuch, he's reading scripture. And uh, 
he, uh, he, Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 30. And the Ethiopian eunuch says, how can I unless someone guides me? And Philip uh, explains the meaning of scripture right there. Oh, this is so important today. Understanding the Bible, explaining the Bible to our children, to our neighborhoods, to the world, isn't an intellectual exercise in vain obscurantism. It is a matter of exclusion or embrace of death or life. How can I? Unless someone explains it to him. Of course, this is why we as a church invest so much time in understanding the scriptures, in teaching the scriptures, in proclaiming the gospel from the scriptures. And part of what makes this issue of exclusion and embrace so tricky is down through human history, this book has been twisted and the medicine of this book has been turned into poison. It has been misunderstood, sometimes deliberately, sometimes simply there's no one there to explain it to you and you, you don't get it what it's about. All the way back to President Jefferson who took this Bible and cut out the pieces of it with his pair of scissors that he didn't like. But we must rightly understand this book. It must be open in our homes, in our hearts. And so Philip explains it to him. What, what does this mean? Is, is this author talking about him, himself or someone else? And right there from that passage of the scripture, Philip explained to him the good news of Jesus. For all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here's one way of explaining that passage. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. There's a barrier between us and God. We cannot get through. We're alienated from God and therefore alienated from each other. We're excluded and therefore excluded from relationships of love and compassion and community with one another. But the Lord, that is God, has laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all when he died on the cross for our sins and took the punishment we deserved. Where have our sins gone? They're on Jesus. What does that mean? It means that now we have freedom of access to God and now we can love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and self, and now we're empowered by the Spirit to love our neighbor as ourselves. You've got to, you've got to understand the Scriptures. But there's one final thing that this passage teaches us about how God embraces the excluded that is baptism. <laughs> and I'm not making a, you know, I grew up in an infant Baptist church, Church of England. Many of you have 
perhaps forgotten that, but for the first 25 years or so of my life, I was in the Church of England. I'm not making a Baptistic versus infant Baptistic point. I'm talking about baptism. Baptism. You can't miss that baptism is important in this passage. But why is it important? Why does the eunuch say, after he's been explained the good news of Jesus, why does the eunuch suddenly say as they come to water? The eunuch said, verse 36, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Do you know why? What was the sign of inclusion in God's people in the Old Testament? Circumcision. And who could be circumcised? (laughs) Not a eunuch. He'd been cut off. He was physically excluded. It was a physical impossibility. He couldn't be circumcised. But he could be baptized. Any man, any woman, any eunuch can be baptized. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I call on you now to come to him, put your faith in him, and you haven't yet been baptized, I don't know, we'll put on a mask and we'll baptize you. Because what baptism here represents is that by the Spirit of God, through the gospel of God as explained rightly from Scripture, you, whoever you are, whatever color skin you have, Whatever gender you are, male or female, eunuch or not, by repentance and faith, God embraces you. Many of you know that before I came to Wheaton, I served for about a decade in a a town called New Haven. One of the interesting things about the perspective of what that means is that those of you who know that New Haven has a university in it called Yale University think that New Haven is, is kind of this peaceful, sweet, idyllic little New England town. That's not the case at all. New Haven uh, has Yale-like prestigious parts to it, for sure. Uh, but New Haven is known as a small city with big city problems. And for many years, uh, my wife and I, my children, we lived in inner city New Haven. Uh, We lived in a multi-racial neighborhood for many years. Uh, We lived on a street that had uh, prostitutes on it and drug dealers. There was a street there that... um, had uh, been known as uh, Dwight Street. That was what it was named after a famous Yale um, president. And uh, it was known in the days I was there as Fright Street because there were so many awful things that took place. One street near us had such a bad reputation that the New Haven PD, the New Haven Police Department, who are 
often stretched beyond imagination in the stress they were going to to try and keep peace in, that, in those neighborhoods, the New Haven Police Department decided that the only thing they could do was day and night, on one end of the street and on the other, on the other they simply parked a police car constantly there with a police officer all the time. Every time you walked past that street, there was a police car on either end of the street. That's where we lived. And I remember one uh, day walking through that neighborhood. And I used to walk through it. They, they, uh, they knew me. I lived there. I was part of the neighborhood. I remember one day walking through that neighborhood and asking myself this question. If I had been born here, would I ever be able to get out? And the, honest, the only honest question I could give, for me at least, was, I don't think so. <laughs> With that in my mind, a few weeks later, I walked through that same neighborhood. It was a Wednesday night. And as you know, uh, churches traditionally meet on Sundays and they have a prayer meeting on Wednesday evening. So Wednesday evening, I was walking through that, that neighborhood and I walked past a church just as the prayer meeting hour was finishing. And out of that church building, spilled onto the street, godly men and women filled with the Spirit. It was like a vision of light pouring into that neighborhood. And I realized what God was saying to me. That's how to do it. That's why I'm so excited about one of uh, our evangelists doing, uh, involved in getting a church plant going down in Englewood in Chicago. That's the hope. Believers in Jesus, filled with the Spirit, understanding what the Scripture is about, baptized, forming new communities of Jesus. And this Ethiopian, it's a thriving church in Ethiopia. This Ethiopian, Augustine from Africa, the influence of that church from this one encounter. Of course, symbolically, the whole thing took place in the desert, for he felt so excluded. He was in a desert place, in the wasteland. And then, see, here is water. And the water of life flew in that desert. And may that be true for each of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Lord God, we do pray uh, for your um, mercy upon us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be those who are filled with the Spirit, that you might use us for your glory. We pray, Lord, that uh, we might be those who... Um, prayerfully ask for your spirit to be poured out and to flow through us and in us. Uh, we bow before you and ask, Lord, specifically that you would bring uh, reconciliation and healing, peace. We pray for those who've uh, suffered in the last week or so, of whatever side of this equation they stand and whatever the nature of their suffering. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, bring healing 
Uh, We pray, Lord, for those who don't yet understand the scriptures. We pray, Lord, that the clarity of all we like sheep, each of us had turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all, the sin of us all. I pray, Lord, that that truth by your spirit would penetrate. And we pray, Lord, for this church that we might be a community of Jesus filled with your spirit, a place of love and truth, a place where the gospel is centered. We pray, Lord, for those who are at work in Englewood uh, right now, that you would use them for your glory. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us, Father, to be like Philip, as messengers of truth, bringing hope to the excluded, and that you, Lord God, would embrace all those who turn to you in repentance and faith. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.